I'm Nick Newton, joined by Will Miles. Welcome to Stand Up and Holler. Hey, listen, we had the episode all wrapped up and recorded nice and neat. And then Trevor Etienne goes and puts his name in the in the transfer portal. Will worth doing another recording on a follow-up night, huh? <laughs> Trevor Etienne, feed two, feed seven. Seven's gone. Seven's gone. And uh it's just hey, look, the transfer the the portal giveth, the uh portal taketh, and and we are on the wrong side of this one here, Will. So this is a this is a tough one for many reasons, but let's dive in. Well, I mean, later on in the episode, everybody's going to hear me say that uh, there's yeah. only three people that I don't want to go in the transfer portal. There's Shamar James, there's Trey Wilson, and there's Trevor Etienne, and Etienne obviously in the portal. There have been a lot of rumors about this for a while. It's been percolating around. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we had gotten some messages from people we knew telling us that Monday was going to be a bad day. So um, obviously it took a couple extra days to make the decision, but but Etienne in the portal at this point. The staff did what they could to keep him there, couldn't do it. And honestly, um, you know, from everything that that we've seen and everything we've heard, this is this is a guy who wants to win, and he's not necessarily confident he's going win in Gainesville that's probably the more disturbing thing if it was just a money thing we'd go okay that's fine but this is one of those guys who came in as the you know really the first recruit for Billy Napier in that transition class comes out gets all SEC freshman his freshman year puts up essentially the same numbers this year um you know, obviously you and I were sitting there just saying, feed them, feed them, feed them. And maybe three games in, we're saying, let's, let's, let's change the distribution to give it to ETN a little bit more. Um, you know, look, I, I understand when, when you're out there and your defense can't stop anybody. And so you got to throw the ball a lot. So the running back's not necessarily always getting the ball when you're splitting carries with Montreal Johnson. And certainly Cam Carroll's going to be coming back too. you take a look at that and you go, Hey, is there an opportunity to go someplace else and have a lot of fun? Um, winning games while also showing what I can do maybe in somebody else's system. And ETN's going to have an opportunity to do that. Yeah. It, I do question the middle of the season, right? A little bit of health, what the health was with ETN. So there was a little bit of a situation there, but overall, this is a rough look for the program. This is a very rough look for the program. Uh, look, I, you and I, we, uh, we, we, we like a lot of what, Napier has brought to this program overall. Uh, we like the 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 vision. We believe in like what he was coming in with here. But you have your best player in the program look at you and say this isn't working and walk out the door. That's a real tough look to bounce back from. And uh, Twitter or X, as they call it, not not a fun place to be right now if you're a Gator fan. <laughs> So first off, X is not real life. It's important to remember that. Yeah. Um, the the second part is is just because ETN left, um, you don't need to go harass his parents or whatever on X. Um, and just just wait until you see where he goes because you'll be angry at that too. Um, and then uh the other the other aspect is is that Billy Napier has been selling a vision and that vision starting to fall apart. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing, is I can get on board with the vision, but you know, considering that, um, you know, that that <laughs> that he sort of completely redirected the recruiting class when he decided for that transition class. 
And a lot of the guys who committed to Mullen, he said, no, no, I'm going to, I'm going to go get my own guys. And the promise there was that in getting your own guys, you're going to get guys who are going to stick around. So guys like Nick Evers, who was the 172nd overall prospect went to Oklahoma, hasn't really played since he's got to Oklahoma, but a guy like Isaiah bond, who was the number 52 overall, who just lit up Georgia in the sec championship game. Both of those guys decided to go elsewhere. Evers sort of said that he, that he, He's at at Wisconsin. He's at Wisconsin now. (laughs) So, but he said he didn't click after meeting with Napier. And it's not necessarily to me that Evers hasn't panned out. It's that if you look at where Florida needs help or what we've talked about in terms of stacking players, ETN leaves. Who's behind him? Who is the guy? Who's who's that five star guy who's going to step up now that ETN's left? There there isn't anybody. There's there's the room is full, right? I mean, you got Montrell Johnson, Cam Carroll, Trayon Webb, and then you got Kanan Daniels coming in in this 2024 class. So it's not like they don't have guys in the room. But one of the interesting things I went back and I, I tracked all the explosive plays this year, and ETN had ten of them and 152 touches. So he had an explosive every 15.2 touches. So basically one explosive a game because he got he got 14 touches a game. Mm-hmm. Montreal Johnson had seven explosives and 182 touches. So one every 26 touches. So really he was getting it 15 times a game. So about one and three quarters of games, Montreal Johnson would hit an explosive play. And the interesting thing to me is Florida had 61 explosive play or yeah, 61 explosive plays overall. 27 of them were tied to a touchdown. They only had 41 touchdowns all year. So 66% of their, of, of their touchdowns were tied to explosive plays. And ETN was a guy who was good for one of those a game. So had you just redirected the carries from Montreal Johnson to the ETN and had he maintained his efficiency, you're probably gaining three, four, five points a game just by giving the ball to ETN. And they never really found that mix where they could use him in the most efficient way possible. And you're giving up that explosive, that explosivity on the ground. Look at Trayon Webb. He only had 30 touches, but he also only had one explosive play. That's right in line with Montreal Johnson. And, you know, I'll have to go and look. I'm not even sure if I can find the stats, but look at what some of the other running backs have done in the country. But I'm willing to bet that an explosive every 15 touches for a running back is is pretty high up there in terms of the list. So they're losing an explosive player. Can you replace guys at running back? Yeah, you can replace guys at running back. I think really it's more what you said, which is that it's a PR black eye. It suggests that um, the guys who are there who you thought were going to buy in are -hmm. not necessarily buying in. And the other thing that it does is it sets up Florida and sets up Napier in a in a moral quandary. And what I mean by that is the long term health of the program may be better served by saying we'll do the best we can to bring in a class in 2024, but we're going to play a bunch of young guys because we need to get ready for 2025 because that's kind of what's necessary to really move the program forward. I don't think Napier has that luxury. So do you go and raid the transfer portal for guys who um, maybe aren't going to be there for a really long time because you know you need to put up some wins? And there's this moral hazard of not only are you going out and finding those guys to bring into the program, but you're going to bring in the guys who are going to help you in 2024, not necessarily in 2025 and 2026. So to me, that's sort of the issue or one of the things that we need to watch is you can't just bring in guys from the transfer portal for the transfer portal's sake. you got to bring in guys who are going to do something that specifically moves the program forward for 2025 and 2026. But given the level of vitriol right now, and we'll see how the 2024 class closes. We'll see if there's some commitments in 2025 that could sort of get the juice going again. But given what the way things feel right now, 
it's going to be really difficult for Napier to get the patience from the fan base, from the boosters in order to get into 2025, which means there will probably be some decisions that are made for 2024 specifically. And that's not always necessarily the best thing for a program. That's what I, that's what I worry about. I know uh, we went back and forth on text a little bit today. I, I think I said, I, I felt like it was about 70% on Lagway before Napier's tenure was 70% on Lagway. Now it feels like it's a hundred and you came back with, it's always been a hundred percent. So that's, that's probably accurate on that. Will. but I, I do, I do feel like there's a lot of pressure. Like we talked about, Hey, Mertz is coming back. That's great to get him in there. I think we got to see Lagway as soon as possible next year. I think this does change some things for Napier, uh, Napier's equation, it's difficult in this day and age in football too. The other thing too, and Billy Napier's not going to be afforded this. Uh, unfortunately, this is not something that a lot of people are going to be empathetic to. You're the coach of the Florida Gators, figured it out. That's probably what you're going to hear from a lot of people. But the, the landscape of college football has just changed. I was trying going through the history of the program, Will. I'm just thinking of players, just a guy just to walk away from the University of Florida football team to go find a better opportunity of this magnitude. And you think about, you know, we had incidents in the past where, you know, Cam Newton is is out, uh, you know, you had uh, Will Greer at one point, but just the straight up decision of, no, I'm out, I'm out, I'm going somewhere else. I remember a couple of years ago when Napier came in, Jacob Copeland transferred, I was like, man, that guy's going to be a number one receiver, what's he doing? That was before we knew much about Pearsall and everything else, like, I, I was a little surprised by that, but you've seen it all over the country. I, I, big schools are going through it. Uh, Fleming at Ohio State wide receiver is very involved in in the game plan there. There's all kinds of examples around the country of this. Uh, Rocket Sanders, KJ Jefferson's talking about it at Arkansas. So you have a lot of big players at different schools doing this, and you knew it was going to come home to roost at some point at Florida, but this is a tough spot because it, it, it's about an all-hands-on-deck situation right now within uh within those uh within that locker room and uh you just lost one of the best pieces you have on on that team yeah so i don't want to jump too far off the cliff here i think it's one player it's the running back that's typically an easy position to replace in terms of productivity and i think the guys they've got in that room are going to give you about at least 80 percent of what etn would have given you anyway so you know like there is value there are value that you put on a person and and in terms of their performance and and how that you know how that sits and you know you the amount of time and effort and energy you got to put into it along with nil money in order to get somebody to stay becomes a question and you know i don't know all the details of what went on behind the scenes the real problem with all this stuff is that we've talked extensively over the last two coaches about the importance of the bump class the second recruiting class and the reason that one's so important is because that's when you get the elite guys in without having had to show anything on the field yet like you've basically got guys in the fold in august or september before the ball's even kicked off and even if you struggle that first year you can blame it on the previous coach right so nick saban goes seven and six kirby smart goes eight and five in their first years it's easy to point to that and say look Seven and five, seven and five, or eight and five, seven and six. That's acceptable even for these elite coaches to start with. So the six and seven last year isn't the problem. The problem is the five and seven this year. And the recruiting was not high enough for that bump class to give people hope that that Napier's going to be able to turn around quickly. And so what's happening, what's going to happen is he's going to have to fill some gaps in order to get to this 2024 class. And, you know, 
the the issue with the bump class wasn't necessarily that it wasn't good enough. It was that it was going to require a patience that I'm not sure that the that the boosters, the fans, or the program has in terms of the overall program and the trajectory of the program. So that's going to be the question. I mean, the question is going to be, um, look, you now have had two substandard years. If we call those year zero and year one, which I don't agree with, but I've heard people say that if you call it year zero and year one, because it's such a huge rebuild, well, year two, everybody takes a leap. And so if this is really year two, then it's time for a leap. And like you said, I think, Hope is what Napier is going to have to sell because he's not selling competing for an SEC championship next year, I don't think. And so if if hope is what he's selling, then Lagway is the hope, which means Mertz going six and six with Lagway throwing the ball 14 times and going to cut it, right? It's it's going to be Mertz maybe starts the first couple of games, and then if if Florida loses one of those one of those first three, you're going to, and especially if they lose two of the first three, you're going to have to see Lagway real quick mm-hmm. because other, and, and again, I think this sort of goes to that moral hazard is you're now putting Lagway in the game, not because he's ready to play or not because he beat out Mertz. You're putting him in the game because that's what the fans want to see him because you have to sell hope for your program. Now, look, I'm hoping Lagway comes in, wins the job. That <laughs> comes in day one, wins the job. And one of the interesting things is if you look at a guy like Dabo Swinney, he had a profile his first two, two and a half years there at Clemson. Looks pretty similar to Billy Napier, actually. And then all of a sudden, Taj Boyd comes on the scene. They actually redshirted Taj Boyd, and then he only threw like 14 or 14 or 17 passes his, his redshirt freshman year. So his true or his redshirt sophomore year, he started, and then he started three straight years. And I think they went 10 and 2, 10 and 2, and, and 10 and 3 or something like that. Now we got to remember there were some hiccups in there. They lost by like 70 points to West Virginia in a bowl game. So it's not as though it was hiccup free, but they went from Taj Boyd, then sort of had, I think, a half a year of Kyle Stout before they went to Deshaun Watson. Then they had a year of Kelly Bryant before they went to Trevor Lawrence and Clemson was able to maintain that. And it turns out they haven't hit on the quarterbacks for Yui Agalele and Kate Klubnik over the last four or five years. And Clemson's taken a step back. So what that says to everybody or should say to everybody is that if you hit on an elite quarterback, you're going to be at least competitive, like in that 10 and three range overall. The problem is you have to hit. So at this point, Napier has one shot left in the bullet, right? There's one There's one bullet left in the chamber, and it's DJ Lagway. And the, how he deploys it is going to end up being the most important decision that he makes in the era. We can talk about, you know, Jordan Seaton, which is a different issue that Seaton didn't – Seaton committed to Colorado today. We can talk about a lot of different things in terms of the 2024 class, the 2025 class. None of that matters. DJ Lagway will be the guy who either leads Florida to 10, 11, 12 wins, or he's going to be the guy who comes in and sort of DJ Yui Agalele and the surrounding cast around Lagway, I don't think is going to be as good as what Yui Agalele or Klubnik have at Clemson. And you're playing in a tougher conference, which means it's going to be lights out pretty quick at that point. Tough day, Will. Tough day. Tough. I Partially expected. We've been hearing rumblings around this for a while, so partially expected. Uh, any clues on on destinations with ETN? Where would you expect them to end up? Georgia. Stop it. I'm going to keep going to Georgia. Stop it. He's just trying I, to I'm not happy right about now. it, but I think that's where he's going. I, <laughs> oh, you know, no. the, the, the other option would be LSU. Obviously, that's going back home, right? He's from Louisiana. Um, going I back to LSU. LSU. I could not live with Georgia. I well, could not live with that. 
No. I mean, I, I only threw LSU out there because uh, I know that Georgia has the, you know, stick, stick to your heart. But mm-hmm. that's where he's going. Going to Georgia, man. You're so, just trying to set yourself up for the worst case scenario. I like pretty that. much because yeah, I don't have a ton of inside info on that, but that's yeah. the way that that's the way Gator football has gone for the last decade <laughs> is, you know, Hey, we think we're getting ahead. Oh, there's a giant kick in the nuts. And uh, uh, I mean, just think about it, right. You got McIlwain with the Will Greer suspension. You got Mullen coming in and like everything just falling apart in the, in the last year that he's there in the fog game and all that crap that, that yep. happened at the end, you got the bowl game where just nobody showed up. Um, so, you know, the, the prized, the prized running back recruit that everybody was really excited about from Louisiana, where Napier sort of sold him on the vision saying, I'm out. I don't believe in the vision anymore. Well, you know, that that's, that's a tough one. And, you know, Trouble. there's a, <laughs> there's a vision up in Athens. that has been pretty successful. So, uh, you know, hopefully that's not the case, but that's where I expect him to go. All right. Well, we just want to add this quick section at the, at the beginning of the show here to, uh, address the. Trevor Etienne transfer portal. Our first cover, Will, on the magazine. Etienne, man, if you're gonna need a different picture next year for the magazine, yeah, we're gonna have to get maybe like make make it like a senior only that we're like we know this guy's not transferring next year. I'm gonna (laughs) reach out to I'm gonna reach out to Lagway and ask him if he'll like sit. You know, like the Tebow Spikes Harvin cover. Like maybe we can do maybe we can do something like that. And uh, you know, help the NIL fund for uh, for DJ Lagway as we uh, as we move into 20, 2024. Since the entire magazine is going to be about Lagway at this point. Listen, I I think you and I have been pretty clear eyed and about the situation here that Napier inherited a total rebuild and that it was going to take some time. I think I think that's something that we've consistently harped on. Uh, I I do try to be optimistic about any situation I'm in with it but it t- today's definitely a tough day today's definitely a tough day with the departure of etn and granted the running back position if you can afford to lose one position on the field it's the running back position but man you can't afford to lose special talents on a team that needs all the talent it can get and that is a special talent walking out the door so tough loss for billy napier tough tough loss for the gators uh let's see what they do to bounce back we're going to cut over to the originally filmed episode from here on so you'll hear the introduction again but for Will Miles, I'm Nick Newton. We'll see you guys next week. Go Gators. I'm Nick Newton, joined by Will Miles. Welcome to Stand Up and Holler on this week's episode. We'll discuss the college football playoff decision. We'll go on to some 2024 schedule leagues. Those are coming out on December 13th, uh, the full launch. So Florida's got a couple dates out there, but we're going to focus on what Georgia has coming up in this 2024 season. Uh, I saw SEC Mike had a leak out there on Twitter. Uh We'll take a look. If if it's accurate, Georgia has quite an interesting 2024 coming up. Uh, portal updates. Who's in the portal? What positions are we looking at? I know we discussed that a little bit last week, Will, but we'll give that update on who's in the portal. And we'll wrap with a couple of recruiting updates as well. Really, who are the Gators targeting on, on the run up to signing day here, Will? How's it going tonight, man? Yeah, not too bad. I mean, obviously, would love to be preparing for a bowl game. Not doing that, so we talk portal. And once you get to this time of year, even if you're if you're not playing in the final four, and hell, even if you are playing in the final four, sometimes there's guys going into the portal to talk about. So college football has changed a lot over the last three or four years, and certainly this is part of it. And you know, gives us something to talk about, I suppose, when otherwise we'd just be sort of getting ready for Christmas. So, uh, you know, 
still getting ready for Christmas, but also the portal. Hopefully we get a few portal gifts for Billy Napier here coming up in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, let's hope. Let's hope. I haven't seen any so far, but we'll, we'll, uh, we'll hold out that hope there. Well, uh, let's jump right into the playoff talk. Couldn't be a better time to move to a 12 team playoff. I think that's the feeling across most of the country uh, after this year's selection unbelievably Florida state gets left out of the field going undefeated as the ACC champion, uh, Michigan, Washington, Texas, Bama get in the Rose bowl, Michigan, Bama and, uh, Washington, Texas will go to the sugar, uh, Michigan, their entire room audibly groaned at the selection show. You don't see that a whole lot. Well, audibly groaned when they got, when Bama was selected instead of Florida state, the college football playoff committee though, probably the most controversial decision of the the whole run of, of the playoff era so far, leaving that undefeated Florida state team out and look, Hey, I get it. They lost Jordan Travis. That was the center of the argument that, Hey, Travis is out. They're a different team without Travis. However, this talk started leading up to the conference championship games where you had Kirk Herbstreit, Paul Feinbaum beating the drum saying, we got to have the four best. We got to have the four best. And that's all well and good. I've always liked the idea that the playoff goes with the four best teams, except they never do. Will that has, that never happens in the history of the playoff. So I believe they were laying that groundwork for that scenario. Cause they knew there was a chance that Bama would beat Georgia. Of course, Kirby in Atlanta against Nick Saban kryptonite for Georgia. They end up losing. It was a great game. Well played on both sides. Four best versus four most deserving. That was the conversation after the result comes in with Alabama on top winning the SEC title. I feel like this logic was only applied to Florida State, Will, but Florida State gets compared to Alabama, and Bama gets that fourth team. They get the nod as the fourth team in the playoff. The major issue overall that I have is I believe the four best teams would be this, Michigan, Texas, Bama, Georgia. Georgia undoubtedly is one of the four best teams in the country. Picked a bad time to lose, much like Ohio State did against Michigan, who also could have an argument to be one of the four best teams in the country this year. But you didn't look at Washington head-to-head against Georgia or Alabama, because I think if you look at them head-to-head against Georgia or Alabama, I'm not sure they're better than either one of those two. You didn't compare Washington and Ohio State. Michigan, how would they do against Georgia? Would they be favored against Georgia? I don't know. Michigan also... The school embroiled in a cheating scandal throughout much of the year where Harbaugh is suspended for half the season. <laughs> like No conversation of leaving that team out. So it seems like FSU was the only team in the field that was a, that had this certain standard applied to it. And honestly, Will, I, I will say this. I do think we're going to get better games out of this. I think Bama and Michigan will probably be a better game than FSU-Michigan would have been. But how can you not give Florida State the shot I, I the the thing that boggles my mind is they earned it. They did earn it with the undefeated season. I if you're in a Power Five conference, which the current structure uh, of college football is set up this way, I think that that deserves to be rewarded. And I wonder if Florida State, instead of having two lackluster offensive showings and like the, instead of two great defensive showings here, I, I wish that that scenario would have been flipped and they could have put up like if Florida state would have won 55 to 48 against Louisville and 45 to 42 against Florida. Will we have any conversation about them making the playoff? Probably not. Probably not. So it's interesting to me that two great defensive performance performances get ignored overall and Florida state gets left out. 
I, I had asked you, Will, to take a look at some of the defensive analytics. Could you compare some of the Florida State defensive numbers to that of uh, Texas, Alabama, Georgia? And uh, I, I, we don't have to worry about Ohio State, I guess. But can you compare uh, FSU defense against some of the competitors in the field? I, I don't get to express my overall opinion first. No, I, I think no, you don't um, shut up. Shut up. Start I, do, doing numbers. Do your numbers so I, thing. So, I, so I think you said a couple of things there that are that are important. One is you said power five. There's four spots, and the reality is is that because of money and because of power and because of whoever Greg Sankey has stuck in the closet, there was no possible way that the SEC was getting left out. Florida State wasn't getting into this tournament unless all hell broke loose because they weren't going to get in front of Texas, they weren't going to get in front of Georgia, and they weren't going to get in front of Alabama. And so even if Georgia had beaten Alabama, it would have been one Alabama, two Michigan, three Washington, four Texas. So Texas was going to be ranked ahead of Florida State regardless. Now we can argue about whether that's an appropriate thing to do with the Big 12 and schedules and all that sort of stuff, but that's where it was. So Florida State wasn't getting in no matter what. They needed they needed everybody to lose. They needed Washington to lose, but even then, I think you'd make a really I actually think the best case you could make for all for anybody jumping Florida State is Oregon. I think Oregon was one of the best teams in the country this year. Had two one-score losses to Washington. Obviously, that makes Washington go Washington had seven one score victories this year that never happens. And that, so if you look at their post game win percentage for every game, and basically you can multiply all those post game win percentages, they had a 1.6% chance of going undefeated based on how they played Florida state was at 1.4%. So Florida state and Washington, I thought were really, really close. And the fact that no one is debating whether the PAC 12 that like fell apart before the season and only really had two good teams like whether whether it's worth you know what whether it like Florida State really gets hurt by Clemson being bad like if Clemson had finished 10 and 2 and they beat Clemson by a touchdown earlier this year I think everybody looks at the Florida State team and, and thinks something different but you, you know look the other thing is I've been advocating and I know I'm fighting a losing battle here but I've been advocating for a uh for a exclusive tournament in college football for this very reason is that we have something to talk about. And once you get to 12 teams, I'm not going to care who the eight and four team is, who gets the 12th spot, whether it was LSU or Ole Miss or whoever. Now, if it's Florida, obviously I'll care. But other than that, I'm like, they're just going to get their butt kicked in the first round anyway. So, and will I watch the games? Yes. Do the bowl games now suck? Yes. Like there's a lot of stuff there that I understand why this is being put in place. But in terms of like the pageantry of college football, what makes it special, these arguments are sort of what makes it special. And let's not pretend that Florida State's never screwed anybody who was undefeated, who had an opportunity to play for the national championship. I believe it was West Virginia years ago where Florida State had one loss. You think, well, no, so 93 was, was Notre Dame. Because Notre Dame had beaten them head to head, but then Notre Dame lost to Boston College on a on a missed field goal the next week, right. and Florida State jumps them in place for the next. So this has been happening in college football forever. The idea that this is some newfangled thing where oh well you know we're gonna we're gonna leave somebody out or we're gonna have somebody jump or or something like that. The difference is like even, in fact even in, I saw somebody who looked at the BCS computers and those rankings. And Florida State was going to get left out there too. It was just they were going to get left out to Texas. So, so well, two thousand, you had that Florida State team that lost to Miami go ahead of Miami. You remember that where Florida and Miami played in, in the Sugar Bowl where they had the brawl on Bourbon Street. Oh yeah, a night or two before the game. Yeah, yeah that Miami team beat Florida State 
that played for the national title that year. Yeah. So well, it's, so, it's happened. So, so if, if you, you asked me a question about defenses and cause that's really the question, right? Is, is Florida state's defense good enough to overcome the limitations that they have on the offensive side of the ball? Um, Florida state's defense is fourth out of the top 10 teams in the rankings. So um, the team's, in no particular order of Penn state, Michigan. Well, this is an order of defense based on EPA. So expected points added. So this is every play. How many points would you expect them to give up on, on a standard play? Penn state, Michigan, and Ohio state actually have negative EPA values on the defensive side of the ball. Florida state is next at 0.03. Then Oregon at 0.075. That's why I said Oregon was a really good team this year. Then Georgia, then Texas, then Alabama, and Alabama's at 0.109. So Alabama's 0.7 worse than or 0.07 worse than than uh than Florida State. Where then Missouri, Washington? then Washington, <laughs> dead last, 0.181. Dead now, last dead I, last in, in EPA for defense. Now the wait, just the, to clarify, Will, throughout the, the entire NCAA? No, no, no. Dead last out of the 10 teams in the in in, in the consideration. Playoff. Okay. The top 10 teams in the playoff rankings. Yeah, right, right, yep. right, right, right. Dead last. So if I look at differential, because now you look at the offense minus the defense, Oregon's actually the number one team. They're at .390, Ohio State .327, Georgia .304, Penn State .302, Michigan .298, Florida State .211. So Florida State's sixth. Then Alabama .193, Texas .189, Washington .188, and Missouri .150. So what it what it really sort of boils down to is if you look at Washington and Missouri, they're almost the same team. It's just Missouri plays in a tougher conference and uh, Washington got really lucky in their one score losses. Uh, Missouri's 10 and two. They're a very good team. They are not a championship level team, but Washington is sort of in the same, same breath. They win the two one score games against Oregon. They win five other one score games. It could have gone either way. Like I said, their post game win percentage was 1.6% to go undefeated. Their Pythagorean expectation, which is basically points scored and points against suggests they should win 72% of their games this year. And Missouri was at 70%. So I think, I think if Florida state was going to make a case, I think they made a mistake trying to make a case over Alabama. What they should have said was, we have the ACC is a better conference than Washington and, and Washington has worse statistics than Florida state does. You should put us in over Washington. I don't know whether, like, I think Washington actually had an advantage playing on Friday night. I think Washington had an advantage that they had, they had tried to hype that as Bo Nix and Michael Penix jr. For the Heisman. Um, I think Washington because it was a close game back and forth, but Washington basically controlled it. I mean, gave up a touchdown the last like, you know, two minutes in like, in like 18 seconds, but they gave up a touchdown to make it within three and then, and then salted the game away. I think that gave them an advantage, but to me, the narrative for Florida state that two, if I was Florida state, I would have done two. I would have been like, I swear guys, Jordan Travis will be back in four weeks. Like he'll be ready for the bowl game. <laughs> and then, and then the other aspect would have been Washington as the team that is substandard. Now you can make that argument against Alabama, but the history means nobody believes it. Because Alabama, I mean, the, the crazy thing about Alabama is they look like garbage against Auburn a week before. They look like garbage against Texas. They look like garbage against South Florida. They look they looked eh against Old Miss. They almost Arkansas. got beat by Arkansas. Yeah. Um, so you start looking back at their schedule, and, and this I think is the problem is if you're gonna have a schedule where zero or one losses leads to a playoff, 
then don't you have to take the entire season in totality, not just who's the best team at this time, right. who happens to have zero losses or one loss? Right. And I think that's where Florida State can feel screwed because I can go through the entire season in its totality and make a case that Washington is a worse team than Florida State. The only differentiator between the two is that Washington has a better offense, but Washington has a much worse defense. And so, so one team has a better offense and a worse defense, and one team has a worse offense and a better defense. You right. never heard that argument from any of the talking heads all weekend. That was driving me nuts. And, hey, I hate that I'm starting this show defending Georgia and Florida State, by the way, just for the record. Well, I know so we're a so, Gator podcast here, but it's they didn't talk about the defense. And when you needed that defense the most in the Florida game, you were down in the Florida game. I how, how as a Gator fan, we we kind of dominated that first half. We only had twelve points going in the locker room, right? I'm it, so ticked off about that game. Florida had an. I went and looked at it today. Florida had an eighty-eight percent post-game win percent in the uh, in the game against Florida State. So basically, what that is is if the stats played out the same way every time, Florida would win eighty-eight percent of the time. So wow. Florida State hit the twelve percent, and then Florida against Missouri was an eighty-two percent post-game win percent. So I'm sitting there going, but they were only 11 on South Carolina. So I think one of those cancels out. But basically, if you want to look at Florida's most likely scenario this year was to win six games, they end up five and seven. So even in even like looking for these stats, um, I've made myself miserable by looking at Florida statistics. But look, so here's two things can be true. I can think that Florida State should have had an opportunity. And I can also laugh at all the people who are who are crying about it, considering that Florida State has had the same advantage over other people in the past and that Georgia got left out. And both of those are good. And actually, I don't think Georgia should go. And I don't think Georgia should go for a very fundamental reason. It's the same reason I didn't think Georgia should go two years ago, which is that if you lose your conference championship game, it's unfair to the conference champion to have to beat you again. And Except if you're Alabama and you get a second shot against Texas. That's that's okay. I know well, they won the SEC, will, but they're they're getting the benefit of the doubt against. Te- but my but my in. point, but 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 the, but that's not the that's not the point I'm making. The point I'm making is that Georgia didn't win the SEC, and Georgia didn't right. win the SEC. You two lost years the wrong ago. one. You lost and, the wrong game. My, yeah. But if if you have the SEC champion in the tournament, you shouldn't have an at large SEC team in the tournament as well. Right. Like that doesn't make sense to me. What makes sense to me is that Alabama, as the SEC champion, with the SEC being the class of college football, you know they they have to be in there. And then Texas winning the Big Twelve, somebody who beat Alabama, you know they're going to be in front of Alabama. So this is where Florida State screwed up. Because they needed to recognize that the they needed to recognize that they were not getting in over Georgia, they were not getting in over Texas, and they weren't getting in over Alabama, which meant that if those team that that whichever team won the SEC championship was going to go, and whichever team won the uh, and, and if Texas won, they were going to go, which meant that Washington and Oregon were their opponents to get in. And they either needed to look better than those teams or they needed to make a case that they should be in over that team specifically. Again, would it have been convincing? I don't know, because I actually don't think you can make an argument that Florida State is definitively better than Washington. I think you can make an argument, though, that if you were going to kick one out, if you were going to make the best four teams argument, I would make the argument against Washington. They decided not to do that. They decided to, to basically go up against Greg Sankey in the SEC and look. The SEC drives eyeballs. The SEC drives money. And the SEC, honestly, if you, I think you texted me, like if Alabama gets left out, how quickly does the SEC secede from college football? 
And that's the thing is they were about to tick off a partner that they can't tick off because it's ESPN's main cash cow. And as much as like the conspiracy theories and all that sort of stuff, I don't necessarily buy into. I do believe that they looked at it and said, the SEC has been the premier league in college football for at least 20 years. How can we leave that champion out after that game we just saw? When we just saw Tate Rodemaker look look terrible against Florida, and then we saw his backup look even worse against Louisville, and it just became one of those things where they said, "Eh, like we'll we'll modify our rules because next year it's going to be best twelve teams anyway, so we might as well get a start on it." It's not going to be best twelve teams next year either. Well, they're never doing the best twelve or the best four. They haven't done that. That's never been the standard. So it's just. Totally conflicting arguments, never once evaluating Washington the way you just did there. Well, the way we just had that discussion about Washington, didn't hear any talk about Washington. I actually heard people say Washington should be first. Didn't hear any talk of, hey, the school that had their coach suspended for cheating for half a season. Didn't hear that. Didn't hear any of that. But, hey, they're in. Washington's in. Roll Tide, baby. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you, the, the other team that got screwed that I didn't hear anything about is Ohio State. Like I hate, I hate the Buckeyes. Again, they got it's the same situation as Georgia. You just lost in the wrong spot. You you lost in the wrong spot. You got the one loss. Ohio State, you know, like Alabama, like Georgia in the past, has benefited from being an at-large team that didn't win the conference in the playoffs. Ohio State's done that multiple times. But if you are going to go with the best four teams, if you're going to go with the best four teams, I think you can absolutely make an argument that Ohio State's a better team than Washington. True. So I, I guess my my and, and I think this is why you're getting upset or getting animated about it is the best four teams standard was applied to Florida State. And the no best four teams was not applied to Washington. And uh, if not you're even Michigan. Re- is Georgia better than Michigan? So Michigan is an interesting case. So Michigan, I have their post game win percentage there. So their chances of going undefeated at 36%. So they have dominated and, their and opponents. What was that, that schedule like, Will? Did oh, play- I know this game. Well, I know the schedule was East crap. Carolina, the Carolina, Rutgers. Like, but look, the schedule was crap for Florida State, and they're at 1.4%. So if we're comparing Michigan and we're comparing Florida State, I think we can say that that Michigan played at least a better opponent when they because Penn State's in the top 10 and Ohio State's in the top 10. So I think you can say Michigan played a more difficult schedule than Florida State. Their Pythagorean win expectation is 81%. So you would expect them to win 8 out of 10. The the Pythagorean expectation never predicts that you're going to go undefeated. So that number can fly a little bit all over the place. It also values defense very heavily. It's got Penn State at 91% in the Pythagorean expectation, but they had a 0.0% chance of going undefeated because they just face planted against Ohio State and Michigan. Um, but so my point is, is that so here's the other thing is if you look at say, look, look at yards per play. Right. You got Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan, and then Florida State in terms of ranking on the defensive side of the ball. But Penn State's one, Ohio State's three, Michigan's four, Florida State is 10. And that's the difference between giving up 3.7 yards per play or 4.5 yards per play. So it's a significant difference. And then Georgia's really close. Alabama's really close. Oregon's really close. Texas is really close. And then it drops when you go to Missouri and Washington. Um, So I don't think Florida state is so differentiated on defense that this is some giant travesty. This isn't the first or second or third ranked defense in the country that just shut everybody down. I think it was very impressive what they did in the second half against Florida, though. I would also propose that Florida decided to go into a shell and not let Max Brown throw the ball at all. And for some reason, Louisville 
somehow turned a wheel route that was wide open into an interception, <laughs> but, but on the next play, but, um, you know, Louisville had a chance to win that game. Florida had a chance to win that game and they didn't get the job done, but I, I understand why people look at Florida state and think that they're, um, you know, a paper tiger and all this stuff. I think that the question is, so like when Virginia tech made the national championship game back in 1999, they had Michael Vick, but nobody, I mean, they weren't the best team that Florida state faced that year. And you end up with Florida state winning the, winning the national championship Tech gave them a pretty good run, but they weren't, they weren't the best team. They're just the undefeated team that came out of, I think they were still in the big East at the time. Yeah. Um, and, and so you know, I, I look at it and I go, that's been the history of college football. So to have a team in a power five conference go undefeated and get left out leaves a sour taste in people's mouths who have grown up with that sort of stuff. But look, this was always the danger when you put a committee in place. Is there a conflicts of interest? There are the realities of money. There's the reality of matchups. And there are just the inherent biases that everybody looked at Florida State and said, wow, Jordan Travis is carrying them. And that wasn't actually true because if you look at their offensive performance, it really wasn't even all that great all year long. It was middle of the pack. In fact, it was bottom of the pack for these 10 teams. So it's not like Jordan Travis was playing lights out. What Jordan Travis did was give them give you the confidence that if they were down by three or down by seven, that he would have the ability to drive them down the field. No one has that confidence in Rotomaker or uh, or I don't, even, I don't even remember the other guy's name. Uh, so Glenn. Glenn? Yeah. Brock Glenn, Glenn, right? Brock Glenn. That's right. That's right. So anyway, I I just, again, I look at it and I go, I'm not going to shed tears for the Seminoles. Those, those a-holes left my home field, tearing up the taking (laughs) sod out of the center, giving the war chant on their way out. Screw them. Same thing with the Bulldogs. I'm not saying anybody in Orange needs to go give consoling hugs here. I'm not saying that at all. But what I'm saying is if you just look at it objectively from the outside as an observer of college football, you didn't put Washington and Michigan through this scrutiny at all. And there was a reason they were undefeated. Those undefeated should have been over here. The conversation should have been Texas, Georgia, Alabama. Didn't work out that way. Like I said, do I think Texas and Alabama are better teams than Florida State? Yes. But that zero in the loss column should give you the right to play for it. And that's that's an all time. That's an all I can say is I don't job that they'll this is some BCS era stuff, man. This is 04 Auburn. This is 2000 Miami. This is why we went to a 14 playoff and they didn't have to answer for it next year going into a 12 teamer. So they pulled the trigger. They did it. Bama, you know, Bama goes to the Rose bowl. And as Michigan would say, Oh man, Oh no, not Alabama. <laughs> that does tell you something, doesn't it? That, that, that Michigan was like, come on, give us Florida state, give us Florida state. Then they announced Bama. And they're like, ah, oh, no. <laughs> But the room kind of realized they were on camera. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, okay, I mean, we I, saw, I saw today on Twitter somebody posted, wouldn't it be poetic that Saban loses that game against Texas, barely wins against South Florida, um, just squeaks past Arkansas. Jalen Milrow is sort of getting better, and we start thinking he's he's great. And then all of a sudden they have to like have the miracle against Auburn. And then Saban puts together a game plan that beats Georgia – and now he's in the playoff, and all he has to do is beat beat Jim Harbaugh, who you also already mentioned is uh, is uh, known for cheating this year, or at least allegedly cheating, and then gets in the championship game against Texas to avenge the loss against Texas and rides off into the sunset with a retirement. I'll tell you what, 
if Florida's going to go five and seven, having Florida State get screwed out of being in the tournament, having Georgia get knocked out in the SEC championship game, and having Nick Saban retire might be the best 2023 you could hope for as a Florida <laughs> fan if you're going to go five and seven. Like, stipulate the five, like, just go five and seven sucks. I wish we were better. But if you got to go through a five and seven season, that might be the best way to do it is Georgia gets knocked out, Florida State gets screwed, and Saban rides off into the sunset. Let's do it, man. That sounds that sounds nice when you put it that way. That that sounds okay when you put it that way. But yeah, all, all time screw job by the committee here. So Florida State ends up in the Orange Bowl against Georgia. Do they pull a UCF if they beat Georgia? Will <laughs> well. So it, it appears as though Florida State is losing more people in the portal than Georgia is. I heard a rumor, or you know, there's people obviously in those message board things that are uh, they're talking about. Well, oh, we should just go out there and then not play. I'm like, well, good luck getting sued on that one for breach of contract with your TV partners. But <laughs> um, but uh, the same TV partner that screwed you out of a playoff spot. Yeah, I mean, look, I think they'll I think they'll be hyped to play. The question will be whether Georgia's hyped to play, and I think that's actually one of Kirby Smart's um, – one of the things he does really well is he does seem to be able to kick their butts and get them ready to play for the most part. Um, it's not like they got beat by Alabama because they weren't ready to play. They got beat by Alabama because Alabama out-physicaled them up front. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he's going to be challenging them to basically say, look, you just got your butt whipped in the SEC championship game. You have a chance to finish in the top five, set a tone for next year, blah, 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 blah. And if and Carson Beck is still there, so you tell me Carson Beck versus whoever's the quarterback for Florida State. I mean, I think it's pretty obvious that George is going to be fair. I think they're like two touchdown favorites to start mm-hmm. with. Um, you know whether or not whether they cover or not, or whether Florida State covers or not, I don't know. Um, I, I that would actually be awesome, right? Is if they play it close, they lose by like three or four. They're like, see, we covered, we did way better. If we'd have had Jordan Travis, we would have won. Like, you know, that would be the the premium is they get beat by a team that didn't even make the playoff. And then, uh, and then start complaining that they would have beat them if they had their quarterback. If they win, they got to go full UCF. They got to do it. They got to do it. Call it, call it an unconquered. Will, unconquered, full well, UCF. I don't know. Yeah. I, don't know. I'm, I I published a book a couple of years ago making fun of Georgia not winning a national championship since 1980, and they've done nothing but win since. So I'm yeah. just keeping my mouth shut. I'm not gonna say a thing about Florida State <laughs> and their and their UCF championship. Yeah. That that would be fun. Uh, that'd be fun to make fun of down the road. But I, I I do feel bad for the kids on the team that go undefeated and you don't get a shot at the playoff. That's uh that's tough. That's tough. They, they should have chosen an SEC school two two hours down the lot, down the road, and uh, they would have been better off. But I will say this: if you're the committee and there's one team you had to die on the hill for, Alabama's not a bad hill to die on. So I think uh, that's that's the other side of this thing. So Michigan, Bama in the Rose, Washington, Texas in the Sugar. New Year's Day. I, I hate the New Year's Eve matchups. I like when it's on New Year's Day. I, I love this. Those are the two best bowl games, I think, for the playoffs. I, I love this setting. So it'll be fun. It'll be fun, fun matchups. We'll see what's what on New Year's Day. Uh, speaking of 2024, Will, some leaks in the schedule. The full SEC schedule is going to be coming out here December 13th. Uh, I saw this on SEC Mike's Twitter. He had the Georgia schedule posted. I'm not sure if it's totally accurate, but – I just wanted to share because even if it's not just just going through this and seeing how this plays out is uh, like it is just night and day from what Georgia dealt with this it, year. It's accurate from a, from an opponent perspective, even if it's not accurate from a date right. perspective. Right. But uh, FBS schedules actually has their schedule up now with dates on it, too. So I think I think what you're going to read off is pretty accurate. All right. So August 31st, you start with Clemson in Atlanta. You know how much Georgia hates their neutral, uh, those neutral field games, Will. So they always play in Atlanta every year now. 
Uh, but Clemson in Atlanta on August 31st, Tennessee Tech on the 7th at Kentucky, and then a bye week on the 21st of September at Alabama versus Auburn versus Mississippi State and at Texas in in that October stretch before the bye week. You come back, you play Florida and Jacksonville at Ole Miss, Tennessee, UMass, and then Georgia Tech. That stretch between Alabama, I mean, even opening up, you got Clemson, uh, Clemson open, and then you got at Alabama, Auburn, Mississippi State, at Texas, Florida, at Ole Miss, Tennessee. That's a little bit different flavor than what we saw in that Georgia schedule this year. Yeah, they might actually have to play somebody this year. That'll be kind of nice. Um, you know, they had Oklahoma on their schedule, and that got wiped um, because Oklahoma was coming to the SEC. Um, I don't want to give them a whole lot of credit for that. I mean, whoop de doo you scheduled Oklahoma once, and, you know, it, it fell through. You could have scheduled something else. You didn't have to go schedule Akron or whoever they wound up scheduling this past year. Um, this was their opportunity. They had a clear, clear opportunity to sail into the national championship game or into the tournament at least. And Alabama was a wounded duck. I mean, Alabama is a team that definitely has flaws and they weren't able to take advantage of it. And, you know, our, our buddy SEC Mike was <laughs> facetiously tweeting the end of a dynasty or something like that with a I'm picture. I'm not sure of how facetious he is on the, Oh, well, on he is Kirby. a Tennessee fan. So <laughs> no, on no, Kirby. He, he's been saying that all year about uh, Alabama though. Yeah. That's he wasn't accurate there, that. but, yeah. but the, the, but he posted it with Kirby and yeah. I retweeted it and said, you know, Florida fans in 2009, when when Nick Saban beat Urban Meyer, we didn't think that was the end. We thought it yeah. was the start of those two teams going back and forth. Like we, you know, you, you look at this Georgia versus Alabama rivalry over the last what since 2017, 2018. That's what we thought was about to start happening between Georgia and Florida, where they were just going to trade it off, right? And it was going to be Saban one year would have the horses, and the next year Urban would have the horses, and the wheels just fell off Florida. And and it makes you go back and look. And I think before the season, I even looked at this is the lifespan of a college football like blue blood dominating is about 10 years. And Nick Saban has completely skewed our idea of what that is. But even if you look at like Tom Osborne at Nebraska, he was there for a really long time, but he had like two separate stretches where they were dominant for about eight years. And in between they were good, but not great. And I think you can see the same thing if you look at Georgia, right? 1980, and all of a sudden now they have this run. Florida back in the 1990s with Spurrier, and then that the short run with Urban Meyer. You look at teams like Auburn and, and Texas, right? You got Mac Brown, who's really good, sort of tails off at the end. Now Texas is coming back. Um, so I, I think that's generally, even if you think about like Tennessee under Fulmer, like it wasn't until Peyton Manning took over and then they win the title with T. Martin that that team was winning SEC and national championships. There was a sh- there was a window where they were very good, but the window where they were great was very short. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of, I think, what what's going to be interesting to see with Kirby Smart. You got Vandegrift, who's who's transferring out now, the backup quarterback. You got Dylan Rayola coming in, who's a five-star, ranked higher than DJ Lagway, actually, quarterback in this, in this class specifically. You got Carson Beck. There are all sorts of rumors about negotiating NIL deals there. You got all the stuff going on with the portal, all the, um, you know, who knows what happens with that as, as things move on. So we're entering a new era of college football. I don't think that Kirby Smart's could be unprepared to deal with it, but I do think that it's fair to say 
that Nick Saban is a special case when it comes to keeping these things going. And he's sort of had his 10 and two seasons every once in a while where it dips for a season or two. And then all of a sudden sort of reinvents himself and comes back. And in many ways with Tommy Reese at offensive coordinator, and then embracing the running ability of Jalen Milrow, they were able to squeeze more out of this season than you would ever expect you would have ever expected them to squeeze from earlier in the year. This was actually a down year for Alabama, which is nuts that they went 11 and one when the, when the SEC championship or 12 and one when the SEC championship and make the playoff. Um, and you know they're going to be better next year. So again, I sort of look at it and go, I like I don't think Georgia's going anywhere, but I don't but. You would have said that about Florida in 2009. You would have said that about Tennessee when they won the championship with T. Martin. You would have said that about Auburn when they won the championship with Chiswick and they were terrible the next year. You would have said that about Texas in the Mac Brown years. You Recently, we were saying that about Dabo at Clemson. Right? They're not going to go anywhere. They're going to take care of Florida State continually. They're recruiting better than them. Look at all these five-star quarterbacks they're bringing in, all that sort of stuff. So, look, I think I think – um, we shouldn't expect Georgia to fall off a ton, but the fact that they're playing a real schedule means that they're going to be challenged. And if they have any holes, those holes will be found. Now, the question is, will losing to Alabama, will that be running constantly in the weight room to motivate these guys? And will it be one of those things like in 2008 when Alabama lost to Florida and then all year long, the scout team for Alabama was running Florida's offense. And by the time McElroy got to the, uh, um, got to the championship game there in 2009. He's like, oh, I've seen this defense before. I've been facing it for the scout team all year long. And, you know, I, I Kirby was there for that. And I don't doubt that he has some of those motivational tools. And, uh, you know, but look, he's one and two against Alabama the last three times I've been out there. Um, that's the one team that Georgia has struggled to get over. And look, two national championships. It's hard to, hard to be too upset with that if you're a Georgia fan. At the same time, stuff goes quick. Well, with, us. with the expansion to Oklahoma and Texas, uh, it's going to be hard for any team to continue with dynasty status in the SEC. I mean, Alabama, you don't bet against them most weeks. Georgia right now, you don't bet against, against them most weeks. But I don't see that stretch like you normally see the, hey, uh, it's Vanderbilt, Mississippi State, Kentucky, and then maybe like your tough games, Missouri that month. Like they have multiple games each month that are going to test them. I, I don't well, I don't think they were they they don't have to get up. That's what the few games they had to get up for this year, where they really had to come out and there was a little bit of doubt going into the game. Not much, a little bit. I'll give you an example: Kentucky going down there. Did anyone really think Kentucky was going to beat Georgia going into Athens? No, but they're coming off good performance against Florida. They were looking. It, we're interested to see what they were. They just got smashed. Like it, 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 they did the same thing to Tennessee last year when they were remotely challenged, and and that's what they seem to be able to flex their muscles in those games against the fraudulent teams. Old Miss this year, they, they can flex their muscles pretty easily against teams that don't have Alabama Georgia level talent. And so I think what you're going to find is that schedule strength is going to play a much larger role in the outcome in the sec, at least overall, especially for the teams that all sort of recruit in the same area because you'll have a year like last, like this past year where Georgia is able to kind of skate by. And, you know, there'll be a year where the rotation for some reason gives them Vanderbilt and Florida's having a down year and they'll get Mississippi state and Arkansas. And all of a sudden you look at it and go, yeah, that's really not that hard to schedule. And it'll be because they missed Alabama and they missed Texas and they missed Oklahoma, but then there'll be years where they get all three of those guys and 
one of those teams, say Missouri this year, right? One of those teams will happen to take a hop up and you'll be like, Ooh, that schedule is a lot more difficult than we thought it was. Right. Like I looked at, at the beginning of the year, I think you and I both looked at Missouri and said, that's a toss up for Florida, but it's because Missouri is as flawed a team as Florida is not because, you know, not because Florida is going to be great. And Missouri is going to be great. Missouri had a really good year. They saw a lot of stuff go right for them, but Luther burden and, and, Brady Cook did a really nice job of taking a jump. And mm. so because they did that, Missouri was a better team, which meant by the time we got to the Arkansas game, we went, oh, crap. Like, we need to win this one because if we don't get it, we may not get any of the ones. It, like, we may be staring down a five-game losing streak, and that's exactly what happened. The second half of Florida's schedule this year was brutal. And it was brutal not just because of Georgia and Florida State, it was brutal because Missouri turned out to be a really good team. You drop the one to Arkansas, and all of a sudden, um, you know, you're not bowl eligible because of it. Well, for those of you wondering, 2024 Florida schedule, we got Miami August 31st, Samford uh, of uh, 42 points in the first half in 2021 fame. Samford comes to town on September 7th. You got Texas A&M September 14th, October 5th, UCF, October 12th, at Tennessee and then Georgia is at the uh that first weekend in November the 2nd and I believe the 30th is FSU at FSU so the games remaining the home games are Kentucky LSU Ole Miss don't have a date yet and at Mississippi State and at Texas going out to Austin Texas next year so hey we're kind of chuckling at the Georgia schedule not much easier on this side of the fence well no, and depending upon how Texas A&M is with Elko, um, depending upon whether Cristobal is able to get solid play at quarterback, um, we'll see what uh, what what Heupel's able to do there at Tennessee, what Florida State's able to do without uh, without Jordan Travis, LSU without Jaden Daniels. Right, there's a lot of questions in there, but Old Miss, LSU, and uh, and A and M sort of as like your West exchange because there is no East or West anymore. Like there's no Vandy on the schedule. Um, even Mississippi state, while I think they're going to be somebody who doesn't play all that well, um, it's not going to be the old Mississippi state where, you know, it's air raid and, you know, you got Will Rogers throwing for five yards, five yards, a, an attempt. So um, I look, I, I <laughs> given what Florida showed us on the field this year, they got some steps to take, to be able to take on the schedule. And that's one of the things Napier's really going to have to do obviously is build out this roster to be able to sustain stuff for more than a game or two. Cause they just haven't been able to do that for two straight years. I like the levy higher out of Miss state. I think they're going to have uh probably a solid transfer quarterback playing out there. So I don't think that's going to be an easy game, but we shall see, Will. We shall see where those dates fall. That that comes out on December 13th. I believe they're doing an SEC release uh, show. I don't know if it's ESPN or SEC Network, but it's uh, December 13th. We'll, that will be finalized. Uh, portal updates, Will. Let's jump right into it. I, I want to start say this. I saw a great tweet from uh, Allie Wilbur the other day. She has, uh, of course, she has a great show on YouTube as well, but she said, I'm all for the kids doing what's best for them and their careers. That's what they should do. But miss me with the quote unquote gator for life when you hit the transfer portal. And I've been thinking the same thing for a while here because uh, it's it, the gator forever. Gator forever. It was the one that drove me nuts. I saw that a few times. It's like gator forever, except for next year and maybe the year, year after that. So I, I think uh, some of these guys come out with graphics and you're like, all right. Cool. I think that's the most I've seen you this year, but I, 
look, it's a little dramatic with the transfer portal stuff. If you're going to enter your name in the portal, just that's cool. Just get in the portal. Just get in the portal. So are, are, you, are you telling me I'm not a real Gator since I went to Virginia Tech after I was done at Florida? No. Hey. I, I mean, I could have stayed in Florida. I, ab- you can spend I time at the university to go. You can uh, spend time at Florida, but if you're going to the transfer portal, I'll tell you one year where you're not going to be the ga- a Gator. It's next year. It's next year you're not going to be a Gator. And uh, I, I do think that uh, that's if, you, if you're actively competing against Florida, I think for a year or two, you're, you're taking a year off of being a Gator. But you could be a Gator once you're done with your college career on that. But I so think it'll, that, be, it'll be like the Buckeyes then who claim Joe Burrow, even though they buried him behind Dwayne Haskins and let him let him transfer. Like if Kyle McCord goes someplace and plays great, they'll claim him. Yeah. They're gonna start claiming him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just like we claim uh we claim uh, our, Cam our, Newton. Uh, we claim several. We got a couple of those floating around out there, man. So we got a couple of those floating around ourselves there. So hey, it's an interesting thought. That's all. I I, I do I do uh, appreciate that too, and I agree with Allie too. Where hey, go go do what's best for you. Rooting for you. I I always root for Gators at the next stop, unless they're playing Florida, which some of them do. Will some of them do play Florida? Are the Gators on that day too? No, you could be Gator after you're done playing for them, them again. But if you compete against Florida that day, you're not a Gator on that particular day. But there's, Prince, there's, Prince there's Lee, so much in your feels, man. <laughs> Princely Uman Milan hits the transfer portal along with McClellan, Chris McClellan on the defensive line, and uh, Kamari Wilson. Not a surprise there in the portal. But will only three defensive transfers so far in recent weeks. Are you a little surprised by that? No, I mean, I think we got a hint at who was going to come out in the transfer portal by the guys who came out for senior day. So Mazuka, Chickahow Bowman, Odom, Egwakin, Humphreys, um, Jaden Hill, Jalen Kimber, Jamarcus Weston, all were guys with eligibility left who came out and celebrated on senior day. Um, I might have listed one there who didn't, but um but basically, we had a we had an idea that those were some of the guys who were going to leave. You had the six seniors. You know that they were like so. My scholarship count is they got twenty three spots right now. They got nineteen guys in their class, and you know they certainly expect to add. I would hope, given what they've added, so they added nineteen and then twenty the last two years from high school. I think they need to be like twenty five. And so if they're going to bring in anybody through the transfer portal, not only do they need to have two more guys leave they need to have probably four or five, maybe even six guys leave to free up those spots for the transfer portal. Now, look, there'll be guys who transfer out in the spring and they'll sort of be able to push those guys out. That's actually sort of maybe the hidden story in the transfer portal to me is I think there's a lot. Like if you look at mid-grade guys who are going to the transfer portal, like, huh, I didn't expect that guy to go in the portal. I think in many ways, it's sort of like the old gray shirt, right? Where you bring a guy in and you're like, well, we'll give you a scholarship in a year if you sign with us, but we're not actually going to put you on scholarship right now because we don't have the numbers in many ways, this transfer portal is sort of that same way. Um, I think for the elite players or the guys who are really in demand, the transfer portal is great. I think for some of the guys who need to be pushed out to make room for those guys who are moving around, um, I think it's probably going to work out less great. Uh, there'll probably be some deals. There'll be some, be some, uh, you know, discount rack uh, DBs somewhere or something like that, you know, three weeks from now when some guys haven't found a home. The question is, do you want those guys (laughs) like, um, you know, are are those the guys you want? I think in some cases, if all you want is depth, you do that. I don't think Florida, I don't think Florida can afford to just go with depth. I think they need starters. So they're going to be in, I would imagine on some of these guys who are going to be kind of expensive and just sort of the way it is. On the offensive side, Landry Farmer and Herman along the offensive front, Douglas, you mentioned Chiaco Bowman, 
from the wide receiver group at the tight end group. Savinier joins Jason Odom, who's who had hopped in early. Uh, Joseph at the running back position. Max Brown is in the porter and uh, in the portal, and then Adam Mihalik at kicker also joins the portal. Will I know we talked about Brown, Odom, a couple of these guys, Mihalik, there, Douglas, they were in the portal already, but. Uh, anything jump out to you along the offensive line in particular? No, I mean, I think the farmer was a guy who was buried in, on the depth chart guys like Rod Kearney and, uh, and uh, who's, the, who's the other one, Rod Kearney and uh, Nigel Harris, Nigel Harris. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those guys had already passed him on the depth chart when it comes to getting time at the guard. And so you look at that and go, okay, I understand why Farmer would leave. Brown makes sense. DJ Lagway is the immediate backup behind Graham Mertz. Um, I'm hoping DJ Lagway is the starter over Graham Mertz, but we'll see. There were a bunch of stories that came out today about Mertz just wanting to win, and that's why he's coming back and all that sort of stuff. And I think that narrative is going to dominate, and I think he played well enough that Lagway is going to have to kick him out of the starting job. It's not going to be, hey, we hope you win the starting job. It's going to be Lagway. you got to win the starting job. But Lagway was backup, so – you know, Lagway is the automatic backup. Brown was going to fall to three. Um, and so I understand why he left. Caleb Douglas is maybe the one that sort of surprises me the most because he was a guy who was a productive wide receiver before he got hurt against Kentucky. You think about the fact that Ricky Pearsall's leaving, you got Khalil Jackson, and then you got Trey Wilson. Those are the two established wide receivers. Somebody's going to have to step up in that third spot. Marcus Burke kind of got some spots. Andy Jean and Aiden Mizell, just a cup of coffee. Um, so there was an opportunity there for Douglas maybe to step up in those roles they got a bunch of they got three true freshmen coming in in this 2024 class sort of ranked and i think like the 150 to 200 range for wide receivers so again if you get one guy out of those three like we talked about in the preseason magazine florida really needed or florida should have expected one guy of the true freshmen gene wilson and mizell to step up and i don't think you could have asked for much more from trey wilson so look i told you last week the the three guys that that are can't leave the program type guys are Trevor Etienne, Trey Wilson, and Shamar James. And there were a bunch of rumors flying around about Etienne, but nothing definitive yet. Um, hopefully, I think the longer it goes without hearing anything, the better off we are. But I'm still not ready to say that he's not going to end up entering the portal to see what he can get there either. Um, but those are the three. Like everybody else, I think is um expendable is the wrong word. I think what it comes down to is I've been thinking a lot about the concept of replacement players in baseball. So like um, human meal and leaves. And my opinion on that is he's a flawed player. He is not a star, but he is a guy who you put at defensive end or you put at Jack and he is at least a replacement level level player. And there were places on Florida's defense last year where they had guys from a production perspective well below replacement. So if you had an opportunity to keep human, human Milan in the fold and you can, say, bring in a linebacker who's replacement level as opposed to below, below replacement level, all right, well, now your defense just got better. Mm. With Human Milan leaving, now the guy you sub in behind, Justice Boone was hurt all year. We'll see how he recovers from the knee injury. Can he be the same level as human Milan? They were really thin at defensive end slash Jack, you know, all like coming into this year. They were trying to add guys in the portal last year, weren't able to do it. So to me, it, it that's the question is like, you think about the way the Oakland days have built their teams over the years. It's been guys who are two or three win players. When you think about wins above replacement and they sort of chain them together and they get the sum of the parts is better than 
you know, a couple of elite guys. So like the Angels have Mike Trout and Shohei Otani, and they don't win anything because their pitcher's terrible because they haven't spent money in that specific area. And I think really resource allocation becomes important when you start talking about transfer portal, only getting a year or two from these guys, all that sort of stuff. So that's sort of my thought process when it comes to human Milan is I don't think he was great, but I do wonder what does it cost to replace him from a roster perspective, from an experience perspective, and from an NIL perspective where you can't apply that someplace else because human Milan was not the weak spot on the defense. There were times he made mistakes. There were times that you know we would have liked to have seen him hold the edge better than he did. There were times where we would have liked to seen a lot of different things. But you can say the same thing about the linebackers. You can say the same thing about the safeties. You can say the same thing about the corners. I think there are areas that need to be addressed more. Or had human Milan stayed on the team, there would have been areas that needed to be addressed um, that were more important than his position. And so now this is just one more position that, that uh, Billy Napier is going to have to address. So it's sort of the same thing. Like Douglas is disappointing for me because that was somebody who I thought could at least be a replacement level player at wide receiver. And now you got to replace him with somebody. Now can Gene or Mizell step into that role? Sure. I think they can farmer. I'm less concerned about, cause he's a guy who wasn't even on the field you fill like you fill that roster spot with somebody else who is replacement level. I think your team gets better next year specifically. So, you know, same thing with Kamari Wilson at safety. Obviously he was a high level recruit. You get upset that, um, you know, it, it's upsetting that he has not panned out, but guys who are ranked 50th to 60th sometimes don't pan out. So he doesn't pan out at Florida. Maybe he pans out someplace else. Hopefully he does um, for, for his sake, but he doesn't pan out at Florida, but, you weren't getting high level play from him on the field last year. You didn't get any play from him on the field last year, which means if you replace that roster, if you replace his scholarship with somebody else, you've immediately made your team better. So to me, that's the thing is, is Billy Napier when he's building the roster, it's not just going to be about one player that he brings in. There were so many holes on this roster that to me, the focus needs to be on making sure that you get the linebackers up to replacement level, the corners up to replacement level, the safeties to replacement level, the defensive line up to replacement level, the offensive line up to replacement level, and worry about the stars later. And if you obviously, if you can add a star, you do it. But I still think that there's there the focus needs to be on making sure everything is competent. Um, and you know, we talked a little bit last week about meaning that's power five starters, right? Those are people who have real track rec- records of playing games in power five conferences who you know what you're going to get when they come in. And hopefully, you get a little bit better results than we got from some of the guys we brought in this past year who had that sort of experience. I absolutely believe that human Milan was done after this year anyway I, I was thinking he was going to go to the nfl but with the kind of money you can make in the transfer portal might be productive to stay in college one more year anyway but well, so he, I, tweeted, I kinda... he tweeted today he'd be open to coming back so yeah. and that it wasn't about money so you know th- there's no defensive line coach right now and they have a window where they're able to enter the transfer portal when, and so when, until when... that guy's in place you know when someone says it's not about the money it's about one thing well well you know it's about, it's about it, the money you're such it's a about, cynic. It's about the money. I, I think uh, the NFL thing it was something I expected with him. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I could see where he tests the waters. The one that really surprised me, though, is McClellan. He was a guy that his freshman year, I really liked him. You know, a little bit of a sophomore slump this year, we'll call it. Didn't really grow into the role like I was hoping to this year. But he's definitely a guy that I, I saw so much good from him his freshman year that I really had some hope for as an upperclassman next year. 
Well, he's an interesting dude because you and I two years ago went to the Gainesville quarterback club meeting. I, I was talking there and, and you went there with me and McClellan committed while I was speaking while I'm sitting there talking about the effect of head coaches on recruiting. And, and by the way, uh, this was Thanksgiving. This was right before the FSU game and Mullen had been fired and Napier was not yeah. hired yet. So, so I was talking, contest. so I was talking about who yeah. they should go after and, and all that sort of stuff. And in terms of head coaches and all of a sudden I get a question from the audience, Hey, that kid McClellan committed today and there's no head coach. What do you have to say about that? And head coaches <laughs> affecting recruiting. I'm like, well, that's a kid who wants to be a Gator right there. So that's why it's surprising to me. Like it's, you know, you never know what's going on through kids' heads and, and, and that sort of stuff. And, and it's not as though he went forward in the, in the pecking order, right? Like you had Desmond Watson and Jervon Dexter, who were sort of the ones last year, Dexter falls into a, or not Dexter, uh, Watson falls into a backup role this year as Cam Jackson, and Caleb Banks step into those starting roles with McClellan backing up. So again, you didn't go up in the pecking order. Banks is going to be there for a while. Jackson's coming back. That was one that, that, you know, who, who decided not to transfer and decided not to go to the NFL. You got, you got Jackson back, you got Boone coming back. Um, you know, so is there a spot for McClellan or is he essentially a rotation player and he feels like he can go someplace else and be a starter. And, and you know, I think the fact that he was willing to commit with Florida having no coach and the depth chart at defensive tackle, I suspect that one of those decisions was, I'm going to get to play a lot. I'm going to get to play in the SEC. I'm going to get to play a lot. I'm going to get to play early. And, you know, things don't work out sometimes. And, you know, the fact that Spencer was here and now Spencer's not, you know, it'll be interesting to see whether McClellan ends up at Texas A&M. Well, Spencer's lost a couple of guys on that A&M roster. I think half of that 22, I mean, probably more than half at this point of that 2020, was it 2021? They had the big class or the 2022, 22, yeah. 22 class, right? Yep. The number one class, man, they, they're just losing talent from that class left and right at A&M right now. But well, Shamar Stewart was saying that sliced bread was wrong about the amount of money that he was getting. So, uh, uh, that was the old joke back there. Some some handle on one message board named Slice Bread was talking about how much money those recruits were getting. I don't doubt that they got some money, sure. uh, but but at the end of the day, like th- this is the thing is I just the way things work at this point, there's zero loyalty from the coaches, and somehow we expect there to be loyalty from the kids when the coaches leave. And I'm just like, nah. If I went to Texas A&M to play for Jimbo Fisher and that staff. And all of a sudden Jimbo gets fired. I'm like, you guys showed no loyalty to the coach I had a relationship with. Why am I showing loyalty to the program and the school? And so I think the transfer, one of the things that programs are going to have to take into account when they relieve a coach of his position is what does that do to the current roster? How close is the current roster to this to this coach, right? So like if a coach has lost the team, I think maybe getting rid of the coach is a good idea because it's an environment that's not conducive to people staying anyway. Mm-hmm. But if the coach has ha, is just not having great success, but the team is still behind him, then I think you need to make have a little bit of more patience. I think that's one of the things that really sort of is a feather in Napier's cap is that the way Florida fought the last part of the season – yeah, they lost the game against Arkansas, but that's a close one. They fought back against South Carolina. 
They kept the game against Missouri close, should have won that one. Kept the game against Florida State close, should have won that one. Um, There's some things in there that I think Napier needs to fix, obviously. There's some things personnel-wise that Napier needs to fix. But from the standpoint of the team buying into what he's selling, I don't think there's any doubt that those players are still with him. And so that's the danger, right, is that if you decided to make a change, and Florida's not going to make a change after you too, but if you decided to make a change, well, all the people that he has those relationships with might go someplace else. Now, you start looking at Kamari Wilson, you look at Chris McClellan, if something happens with ETN, Douglas, those are all guys who were brought in in Napier's transition year. Typically, those transition classes have a little bit more attrition. So the place I'm interested in is there have been rumors about Will Norman. He announced, you know, he, he had something on Twitter about it's been great for my time in Gainesville. I'll always be a Gator, that sort of stuff that, that bothers you. So Norman is somebody from last year's class. Um and the more guys from last year's class who leave in the portal, I think that's where you start to get concerned, mainly because Napier and his staff have specifically targeted youth. And so that bump class, the 2023 recruiting class, is the one that's going to have to deliver for him in conjunction with guys like DJ Lagway and and Phil Sam and Phil Sami and, and Miles Graham and those sorts of guys in the 2024 class. Those are going to be the guys who bring winning to Florida. So if all of a sudden that 2023 class leaks out and has all the same kind of attrition, then Napier's relationship with these players isn't enough to keep him here. And so then at that point, you're just in a situation where college football is mercenaries and relationship doesn't matter. Culture doesn't matter. And you, you go out, you, you pay the money you need to bring in the guys and, and, and you go win. Yeah. I, I worry about the level of, of players entering the transfer portal. I think it's awesome that players have the ability to move around. I know that's always been the thing with coaches. I don't think they should be totally attached to the schools, but I do think there should be some limitations. Some of these guys out there floating around. I mean, uh, Oh, man, I'm blanking on his name. Uh, Georgia quarterback played at Rice this year. Oh, uh, JT Daniels. JT Daniels. I was blanking on the name. The, the man's played for four colleges by the time he exits college football. Like he's at USC, Georgia, West Virginia, Rice, right? JT Daniels, what a career. What an interesting thing that will be to look back on 20 years from now. But if that becomes the new normal in college football, that's going to be tough for the average fan to keep up with. I follow college basketball very casually. I'm the Florida fan that probably a lot of Florida basketball fans hate where it's like, Hey, wake me up if we're good in like February and like, let me know how we're, the tournament seats are looking and everything. I, I couldn't name more than a player or two on the Florida basketball team right now. And I used to love those teams back in the Billy Donovan days, watch those teams, but you knew the players because they're at the school three, four years. And if you start losing that, that was the separation between college football and college basketball for a long time with the one and done rule where it's like it just changed the top players in the sport just change every year and you'd have a bright light like a Zion come on the scene at Duke and then he just disappears after a year and it's like, okay, that, that was fun for a year. But it, I, you want to you want to see a little more stability with the system. And I so, think that's coming down the road. I don't think this is a permanent state for college football because I think a lot of people don't love the way it is right now with this permanent free agency where you're basically – having to say, oh, boy, I hope our top players don't all jump in the portal at once every year. Well, That's- well, let, well let's be honest. College football has never done what's best for the fans. So um, somehow we come back and take it every year. But with college football, I mean, those split national championships they used to have where we didn't even have a championship game. I mean, just think about where college football was 30 years ago with that sort of stuff. Um, I um, so, so college football has not always done right by the fans. What I think is going to happen is they – the proposal that came out from the NCAA this week, and I don't think this is what will be adopted, but the proposal that came out from the NCAA is they're going to essentially set up a separate division for 
for programs that are high revenue that wish to that wish to be able to give NIL as an inducement to play. And the minute you connect the playing and the, and the name, image, and likeness dollars, then you can have a contract in place that makes somebody stay for multiple years. You can have mm-hmm. something where you're not getting paid much at the start, but there's a lot on the back end. Or I don't know what the contracts would look like, but you would be – because right now you can't do that. What you do is you sort of like um, – my understanding is you sort of tie the NIL to, to fulfilling requirements in a certain geography, but you can still fulfill the requirements in that geography while also fulfilling requirements in a different geography for a different entity. So like, basically you can, you can almost, you can take the money from the original NIL deal, depending on the contract and go to a different school and, and, and build on top of that. I think they're going to have to eliminate some of that stuff. I think the contract aspect of it is really going to be what's fascinating as this stuff moves forward. And the reality is at some point, the TV money is going to be up for, for payment to the players. And when that happens, I think they're actually going to kind of break away from the universities. And when, again, then it'll be a question of contracts, right? I mean, like, if you're an Eagles fan, you become accustomed to Jalen Hurts being your quarterback. If you're a Bengals fan, you become accustomed to Joe Burrow. Patriots, obviously, with Tom Brady. Colts with Peyton Manning. That, I think, is going to be – and there's a lot of fungible guys who are in and out every year um, on the offensive line, the defensive line, stuff like that. But at least in terms of who your um, who your main guys are isn't going to change. The interesting thing is I saw Clay Travis tweet something the other day about from an antitrust perspective, why four years? Why do you only get four years of eligibility? And, you know, it used to be tied with you're in school, right? You're in school. And so when you're no longer in school, you can no longer play. And then guys started staying longer. So they said, okay, it's only four years. But why four years? It's restraint of trade for something if they're actually paying people and it's independent of the university. And so, you know, we're going to have you get Chris into Winkie. that question. You get into Title IX issues. Yeah. Well, so we're going to have too. we're going to have Chris Winky suing to come back and play at Florida State in a couple of years. Be like, I still got two <laughs> years of eligibility left. I'm only 74 years old. Let's see. Uh, Shane Matthews still can zip it a little bit too. Hit up, hit up, hit up Shane Matthews if we need a quarterback here in a year or two. Well, well, why not? Why not? I, yeah, I, hey, I, hey, listen, Tim I, Tebow, I, come on back. Yeah, it, it's it's going to be interesting to watch. Uh, it's going to be interesting to watch develop. I don't think for those of you, I say that to to put out because I know there is a segment of the fans. I'm getting to the point now too where the every year free agency thing drives me nuts too at this point, but. I do like the fact that the guys have the ability to move. I just wish there was a little more, a little more stability within the setup overall, where it's like, Hey, guy, maybe once a career is looking to move, not every single year. It's crazy right now. Um, All right. Well, we're approaching early national signing day. Big targets for the Gators still on the board. Jordan Seaton, number one offensive tackle out, out of IMG. I uh, believe he's considering uh, Ohio State, Oregon, Tennessee's on the board. A couple other schools there too. But Florida in the hunt for the big man out of IMG. I think Maryland was one of them as well. Yeah, I mean, Seaton obviously is the big one. We'll know probably by the time this posts because he's he's announced on the 7th. We're recording this right. on the night of the 6th. Yep. Um, look, I, I think it's no secret Florida needs help on the offensive line. Um, the offensive line class here in 2024 is okay. It's not great. It can jump to excellent if Seton is in the fold, right? You get an elite offensive lineman coming in. He'd be their third five-star in the 24-7 um, composite rankings. I actually think that um, 
LJ McCray is probably going to jump into that. So that would, I mean, if he does, that would give them four or five stars with Jordan Seaton. They've got a bunch of guys in the top 100, but Fletcher Westfall is their best offensive lineman right now. He's ranked 200th. He's an offensive tackle. Um, and then you start going down Marcus Maskell, ranked 466th, also a tackle. Michael Boyeru, who just recommitted to Florida after decommitting earlier this year. Actually, sorry, he's a defensive lineman. Defensive you got, lineman. You got yeah. Noel Port- Portsigan, Portsigan, I think that's how you pronounce it, interior offensive lineman from Germany. And then you got Mike Williams, the offensive tackle, ranked 1,237. So, and Portsigan is 991. So, you got a couple of guys in the thousands. They got a guy in Maskell who's at 466. They got a guy in Westfall who's 200. That's a that's a decent offensive line class, but it's not an offensive line class. It's much better than last year's offensive line class. And um, you know, are you going to get elite starters out of there? So to me, Seton is the obvious guy. Day one left tackle starter. You bring him in, you put him in, and you just grow with him, right? You say, look, Westfall right tackle Seton left tackle Austin Barber's obviously around Cam Waits is obviously around you got to beat those guys out but those are guys who should have the ability or at least should have the capability to beat those guys out relatively quickly and certainly push them to get better even if they don't beat them out something I've been meaning to mention Cam Waits is just cartoonishly huge is he not like when they when they do the, the shots of the line he's just so much bigger than every single person on that field uh you mentioned uh, McCrae, LJ McCrae out of Daytona Mainland, another Mainland player, Xavier Mincy, defensive back. Uh, been on the Gators' radar for a while, as seemed to, based on what I've heard out of 24-7, I like their podcast with uh, with uh, Andrew Ivins. I believe Cooper Potegna is on that, too. Uh, Xavier Mincy is just played a little bit close to the vest. Hasn't really let people in too much on that, but it's been a, he's been a huge target for Florida throughout the entire cycle here. Well, Daytona Beach, so obviously that important circle we always talk about around Florida. Um, but he he had a pretty close relationship with Corey Raymond from all uh from from all uh all information that's out there, which means the dismissal of Raymond is gonna impact this. Now, you know, if it was um if it was Cormani McLean and his profile last year, I'm not sure that they make the same move that they made with Raymond. I think they're probably willing to sacrifice a guy like Mincy in order to get the right guy that they feel like is the right guy there as a defensive backs coach. At the same time, that is one of the reasons why it's so important to me that they get these coaches in because these guys need to know and and th- so typically you have the staff gets the staff gets fired after early signing day because you lock these guys in. I don't think you can do that anymore at the transfer portal. Cause I think they'll just enter the spring transfer portal <laughs> after, after fall practice or, you know, at, after spring practice or maybe even before spring practice, if they feel like they've been lied to. And so I think actually announcing those changes, probably a good thing early on, assuming you have replacements in place to bring them in. And that's the place where I think Florida needs to get moving is they need to make sure that these guys, at least whether we know or not, the players need to know who their position coaches are. And, you know, I mentioned you and Milan was, uh, was tweeting today. One of the things he tweeted, somebody tweeted something about, you know, I wonder if he would consider coming back once he knows who his position coach is. And he tweeted, yep. And so the implication is he doesn't know who his position coach is going to be. And that's a problem because that also means that LJ McRae doesn't know who his position coach is going to be. And you figure then that also means Xavier Mincy doesn't know who his position coach is going to be. And those guys need to know that in order to make a decision. So if nothing else, 
I think one of the things you might see is some of these guys push off their decision beyond early signing day if they don't know who the coaches are. And that's unfortunate, but um, you know, that's something to be watching for is to some of these high level targets just not make a decision in December because they're waiting to see who's going to be coming on board. Well, according to half of Twitter, it's going to be at Odron. So probably I'd be solved. all over Ed Orgeron. Go go Google Ed Orgeron Roback. And you'll be all in on the Ed Orgeron era as well. And certainly if Roback wants to sponsor Stand Up and Holler, we would be happy to say, go Roback at the end, because those are some awesome commercials. Orgeron's a character, but I saw uh, um, Ian Snell today posted on Twitter that uh, that he was recruited by Orgeron when Orgeron was at USC, uh-huh. and it came down to Florida and USC. And he's like, I almost went there because Orgeron. That guy's a hell of a recruiter. And so I sort of look at that and go, all right, like – Yes, that is what Florida needs. Florida needs a guy who's just going to go out there and recruit, 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 recruit. That's Orgeron. He connects with people in a way that, uh, you know, we make fun of him with the Farmer Fran jokes and all that sort of stuff. But uh, um, but I would be okay with that, and I think he'd be he'd, he'd bring significant value to Florida. And you mentioned this to me the other day in a text exchange. We'd have an interim head coach sitting right there if things went wrong because <laughs> he's done it at every stop he's been at so far. So, you know, maybe that's the reason not to hire him. <laughs> if, he should if be the uh, early on. You'd be like, we've already got the guy there. He should be the defensive interim coach in waiting slash defensive line slash press conference coach. He should handle the press conferences too. I would love that. Just end every – everything with go Gata at the end of it. I would love if that. It was, if it wasn't for the scandal stuff, like the guy they should bring in for press conferences is less miles. Like I thought you were going to say Ogeron. <laughs> Ogeron fit the scandal stuff too. So I, uh, I wasn't sure which he, LSU he, coach he was, you were talking about. Or, Orgeron was less scandal ridden than, uh, than, than less miles. And certainly, uh, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know all the details of what was going on at LSU, uh, but obviously there's been some shenanigans that have We've, gone on. Uh, there and, old Willie Fritz at Tulane headed over to Houston, so uh, there's an opening at a big time Louisiana school for some football there. Edo, they should go. They sh- they should uh, love to see Edo in New Orleans at Tulane. That'd be fun to watch. Go uh, roll back. <laughs> go roll back. Gregory Smith, Sumner High School, the Sumner Sting Race uh, here in the Tampa area. Well. He's been a guy that's emerged recently. Lanky kid, uh, solid defensive back prospect. I know he's looking at several other schools at the moment, but Florida seems to be a strong candidate for the services of Gregory Smith. Yeah, so if you look at his his list right now, he's got Vandy, Virginia, Army, Bowling, Green, and then Florida. But Raymond was his primary recruiter, and so that'll be the question, right? Is Was he a Florida guy or was he a Raymond guy, and how does that impact? He's ranked 547 overall in the 24-7 composite, .8844 is his overall ranking. So a good player, but a guy that you probably expect to build into being a contributor, not a guy who's going to come out uh, maybe maybe contribute on, on special teams right away. Um, certainly got significant speed um at, at the corner position but uh you know you're probably looking at more of a special teams contributor early on um if you, if you bring him in in this class a couple of flip candidates here bama commit defensive back uh jameer grimsley and ohio state wide receiver J- jeremiah smith we're not really holding up serious hope for uh jeremiah smith are we i'm not holding out any hope but if napier flips him that's a heck of a get and again i think you look at so you need so Dan Mullen almost always had four to six all SEC players. And that's what you need to win 10 games. And you saw it with Missouri this year. If you go look at what they had, I think they had five all SEC guys on their team, first and second team, all SEC for the AP. Um, these five-star guys turn into that. 
on a fairly regular basis. So regardless of what you say about a class specifically, um, you know, you need one or two from sort of the 100 to 200 to turn into an all-SEC player. But if all your five stars turn into all-SEC players, you're golden. So you think about Lagway, you think of Phil Simi, you think of McCray. If they add Jordan, and then if they were able to add Jeremiah Smith, now you got five potential five-star guys who, you know, let's say you hit at the 80% rate where those guys typically hit. Four of the five guys become all-SEC. Your eight wins guaranteed every year just based on their performance. Now the question is, how do you build around them? And that's really the power of the recruiting. It's the power of stacking, and it's the power of having those elite, elite recruits. You know, I mentioned earlier, Kamari Wilson, he's not one of those guys. He was a very good recruit. He was like 55th overall in the 24-7 composite. Very good recruit, not can't miss. And and that's the thing is when you get into the guys ranked first and sixth and 16th and even 30th for Jordan Seaton, at least in the 24 seven ranking, um, you know, those are the guys who you look at and say, those guys can't miss. Jeremiah Smith is the number one overall recruit. So out of at least for 24 seven, um, he's also, yeah, he's the number one overall recruit for the composite as well. So look, I seriously doubt that they're going to be able to flip him from Ohio State. Heartline obviously has a pretty good pipeline there of wide receivers coming in. There's going to be space because you've got Marvin Harrison Jr. moving on to the NFL after this year. So it's not as though there won't be an opportunity, and he hasn't already seen those guys excel. Same time, they've had him on campus a lot. And so, you know, is he playing with him? Is he enjoying his official visits? You know, all those sorts of things. Maybe. But look, he's from Hollywood, Florida. And – you can hop in a car from Hollywood, Florida, and go see your son play in the swamp. You can't hop. I mean, you can hop in a car and go to Columbus from Hollywood, Florida. It's a while. And, and two days later, you'll be ready to watch your kid play in the horseshoe. So it takes plane tickets, right? You're going to have to fly up there and do that sort of stuff. Now, with NIL and all that sort of stuff, maybe that's less of a concern these days. Um, I got to be honest. What Florida needs to do is make sure Jeremiah Smith goes up to Ohio in like February. Like just, you know, be like, hold off until National Signing Day. And then a day before, go up to Columbus, Ohio at 4.30 in the afternoon. We guarantee you it'll be dark and 20 degrees. <laughs> and and then come back the next day and hang out in Gainesville, Florida. It'll be sunny, blue skies, and 69 degrees outside. That, to me, should be the selling point. Because if you're from, like, whatever, I live up in Philly. Like that's why my family, my family moved down from Ohio. You're, you're explaining exactly why <laughs> it's miserable up here right now, man. Like yeah. I always have to wear my sleeves and my hoodies and stuff like that in my basement. Cause I'm freaking cold. And uh, you know, if, if you're going to sell a kid who's from Hollywood, Florida on coming down to Florida, I gotta say, you can't do much better than, than just showing him, you know, the, the co-eds walking around campus in the middle of February and it's big blue skies and warm and then a picture of Ohio where it's gray and dark and the sun never comes out. Uh, Army Navy this Saturday, Will, up in Massachusetts, up in Foxborough. I guess is at Gillette this year. It's normally Philly. You ever been in an Army Navy game there in Philly? I have not. Those tickets are hard to come by. Yeah. Um, they're, they're not easy to get. But uh, So they're playing at where? Up, up in New England? And in Foxborough, yeah. That's huh. interesting. Uh, Army three point favorite. They're both five and six, so you're battling for bowl eligibility. Who you got? Uh, I'm gonna take Army. All right, I, I, get... I have no idea why. I'll take I'll take Navy. Cool. I just wanted to figure out which team to root for. I'll root for Navy. That sounds good. Uh, I always I always like watching that game, but it I I do 
I remember the first year when Trump was elected, he went on. Do you remember he came on the kid? Do you watch the Army Navy game typically? Yeah, I I usually watch it. When Trump was elected, he went to that game that year, and he gets in the booth, and he's like, you know, not the best players here, but they're pretty good. They they not the best. <laughs> it's like, yeah, of course you're gonna say that, dude. Hey, but, he would have been able to beat him. It's just, you know, he he. he uh, <laughs> I've seen far better football players. Uh, uh, yeah, that's not. There the are other things he could have said that were worse. So we'll <laughs> uh, we'll. Uh, and and I'm imagining that look equal opportunity. I'm imagining Biden wouldn't say anything much better either. So um, yeah, yeah, for so, sure. Now, so it's funny. So the Army Navy game, I get to usually watch like the first half, and then this is the first weekend that my wife knows we can go do stuff, right? Because like Florida, I always kind of have to reserve that championship weekend, even though it's been a really long time since I've actually been able to watch Florida. And this past weekend was an awesome just set of games all day long, at least, you know, to go from the to go from the game on Friday night between Oregon and Washington. And then you get the game and then you get the game with Alabama and Georgia. And then you're sitting there wondering, can Florida State put up enough uh, uh, enough style points to sneak in, um, sneak into the playoff? And then they can't. And I'm also sitting there cackling about Georgia. So it, it was a good Saturday. But my wife knew, hey, all right, this is a college football Saturday. This week she knows, like it's the Heisman Trophy celebration. You can look and see who figures who who gets that on on ESPN, and uh, and same thing with Army Navy. Like we'll probably watch a little bit, but there's there's usually some sort of Christmas plans going on this weekend, just because the season's over, man. Yeah, like, it's a lot of time to do this. You, you you know as well as I do, it's a lot of time to. do I this. do best pregame and postgame though. Army Navy definitely definitely love the sights. That's a game I definitely want to make it to at some point. Uh, I would love to see that in person at some point. Uh. Heisman, who you got? Bo Nix, Jaden Daniels, or the field? I mean, it should be Jaden Daniels, but I think they'll probably give it to Michael Penix. I think the oh the taking the I, field. Yeah, I, I think I think Penix probably won it the other day against Oregon. I think mm. he's an undefeated. He's the quarterback of an undefeated team. Um, he's been better than McCarthy has been for Michigan. He was better than Nix in that specific game and got the better of Nix both times. Um, Daniels, I think put up just otherworldly numbers. And if you're talking best player in college football, I think Jaden Daniels wins it. But Daniels hasn't had a moment since he was just ripping through the Florida defense all year long, right? I mean, since that point, I think Penix has had a bunch of moments since then. You think about the the game-winning field goal against Washington State where he's got his head and he's, like, hiding his head as they're kicking that field goal, um, you know, from from a pretty significant distance, too. Hit that field goal, win that game, go win the Pac-12 title game. I, I – I, I don't know. I just I look at it and I go, I feel like writers specifically look for narrative. It's one of the reasons why I like looking back at the looking back at the stats. Not necessarily because they always predict what's going to happen, but they at least divorce you from the narrative. I think writers look for narrative. And I think in in uh I don't think there were a lot of I think people who were down to Bonix and Penix all are gonna go for Penix because of what happened in that game. And uh, and I, I think, think that Penix put definitely ahead. had the biggest moment in terms of what he did for his individual team, but I think Daniels was just statistically just so dominant this year. I think that Florida game put him on the map early on in November here, so in the middle of November actually. So I, I do think that Daniels has been on the radar for for quite a bit at this point. I think he's going to close it out. So and it's just a question of four weeks, right? I mean, it's been four weeks, and when you start thinking about it being four weeks is that enough time to sort of shift the vote? And you got uh, one guy who led his team to the playoff and one, one guy who didn't. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see for sure. But all right. So I'll be rooting for Navy on Saturday. If you're taking army. 
<laughs> Sounds good. I just wanted yep. to figure out who I was rooting for. Yep. Hey, just a reminder, like and subscribe to the YouTube channel if you uh if you like what we do here. Um obviously you've made it all the way to the end, so you you must like what we do. So please like and subscribe, helps us out. Um certainly lets you know when we've got new stuff up. We're gonna be doing some stuff this off season. Um we're not exactly sure what all of the different components are gonna be, but uh want you to, want you to make sure you get that information when it goes up there. Um you probably saw if you if you've liked to subscribe, you saw earlier this week I put up something before the playoffs were announced, sort of talking about that. We'll probably have some more sort of college football in general type stuff going up over the over the off season so uh you know if you want to get that like and subscribe make sure that you're uh plugged into what we're doing here at read reaction thanks for listening everybody for will miles i'm nick newson have a great weekend everybody and go gators hey everybody thanks for listening to stand up and holler if you're interested in more information from me and nick you can go over to readandreaction.com you can like and subscribe our youtube channel here at read and reaction or you can go to patreon.com slash read and reaction to support us, get extra information. And we do ask anything's over there every once in a while as well. So check us out. Thanks for listening.